0: Ecclesiastes 12:10 tells us that the preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Hello. My name is Logan Dixon, and it is my hope that during our time together in this podcast, what you will hear will be acceptable words. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, is this going to work?
1: Progress. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Very good. Awesome. So, so t- TikTok didn't work. Your Facebook didn't work. Mm-hmm. But hopefully this hopefully this works. Uh I live in the middle of nowhere, so hopefully the cell signal keeps up. But right. we're here. Yeah. So
0: normally whenever I go live with people, I, I do it through StreamYard, which I was telling you about over TikTok. Right. Um and uh, it's a lot easier to do that. It's like a it's like a much
1: less complicated Zoom call that way. Right. Yeah. the The trick with that is you need an external camera, and microphones, and a computer, and an internet connection. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't have but like two of those. So, and the internet well, connection is not one of them.
0: Well, have they not reached the internet cable that far out in
1: Kentucky yet? Oh no, we're in Southside Virginia. Uh, oh okay, okay yeah uh uh told me that i could not even get a home phone line here mm. so well good there's that oh absolutely i don't know why i thought you were from kentucky i don't have a clue it might be the accent but whatever it um, could be yeah so for anybody joining us who has absolutely no context to what's happening here i got my dog over here um we had started a conversation on TikTok videos Uh, specifically dealing with uh, altar calls, which Mm -hmm. is, which is fun. Um, And then you, do you go by Wendell or Logan? Did I have that right? Either
0: one's fine. Um, I typically go by Logan. My wife calls me Wendell whenever I'm in trouble.
1: Nice. Nice. And, uh,
0: and generally whenever I get hired on at a job, they don't know any better. So they just call me Wendell. So it don't matter.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. I thought with all of your, usernames and whatnot that uh seemed like it was logan but uh you had made you had made the comment there at the end of uh your video um that you believed i held to regulative principle of worship and normative principle of worship which i think would would kind of sum up a lot of our different approach to this um Mm -hmm. actually fairly well so for a little bit of background, um, I'm coming from the independent fundamental Baptist side of things, and altar calls have always been a thing um, at the end of every service. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if it was uh, a Bible study or a camp meeting or a revival meeting, anything like that, um, altar calls and invitations were just a thing. Um, I have heard used as a measure of kind of a church's spirituality on whether or not they use an altar call, you know, um, some churches don't even have them cause they've gone liberal and compromising. And so you right. have to have that, that, uh, altar call and that invitation at the end. The problem with that mentality that I have is it's not inherently biblical. Um, that's not to say, and I think we do agree on this, that mm-hmm. it's not inherently wrong, um, but at least it is not prescribed or described in Scripture, if that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that, that's right. So basically, I the way you were talking, I just assumed you held to the regulative principle of worship because you kept saying that it wasn't prescribed in Scripture. And I know that those who hold to the regulative principle, they want their worship to be comprised of things that are only
1: prescribed in Scripture. Right. And as best as I understand it, and I don't I don't know all the big Bible college words and terms and all that good stuff that goes with it, um, RPW is just, it's fairly recent on my radar as such, you know, the, the principles and stuff behind it. Um, but for anybody watching, as I understand regular principles, I'll use music as an example. In our churches growing up, Uh, we had piano accompaniment, and we sang out of a hymnal. Um, Mm -hmm. Regulative principle of worship, as I understand it, would basically ask the question, um, do we see a hymnal prescribed or described in Scripture as use in worship, and do we see a piano prescribed or described? Um, The answer to both of those is no. We can take a step back to, do we see instrument accompaniment at all, prescribed or described you know commanded or just described in the early church um and you don't really see that in the new testament regular principle would then say well we don't see it therefore we're not going to do it and i know there's some churches and there's a few around us that will have a service with no music where all they sing you're more on the um presbyterian end of things so you would probably be more familiar with the the psalter and the metrical psalms than you know my tradition um but that's kind of how i understand regular principle and from that i would lean that direction but not all the way into the you know we need to get rid of the piano and the hymnals and only have a psalter and sing cappella. um from your end is more you said the normative principles um, yeah, that i'm not too familiar with
0: so the normative principle uh, believes that that worship should be comprised of all the things that are prescribed in scripture with the exception that um, we we don't really take a hardline stance on if something isn't mentioned in scripture Where, whereas regulative principle guys would say uh, well, a piano is not prescribed in scripture, therefore we we shouldn 't have it um, normative principle guys would say well, scripture doesn 't forbid it, therefore it 's okay gotcha so normative so as someone who holds to the normative principle, if something is not ex- if something is not exclusively forbidden by scripture, then it it 's fair
1: game gotcha so regular principle would basically ask. Uh, is it prescribed normative principle basically asks is it forbidden uh, yeah and then everything outside of that is just you know up in the air uh, which is where we get stringed instruments and pianos and and all of that um as i described uh i guess in the first or second video in our back and forth on you know altar calls themselves um we don't see it in scripture and so from a regulative or normative principle of worship, we don't see it either prescribed or described. It's just, it's not a thing. As best I understand it, we really see altar calls as we know them come on the scene in, what, the mid-1800s in America. Um, right. I want to say little, Charles Finney. Yeah, and I'll give you a little fun fact. Um,
0: a very distant relative of mine, Amsey Clarence Dixon, was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle at Spurgeon's Church nice. in the early 1900s. And he is the one who first introduced altar calls into the Metropolitan Tabernacle.
1: Gotcha. Um, if I remember, and this is off the top of my head, I need to go back and look it up. Um, I believe Spurgeon's entire invitation at the end of his sermon uh, was basically if anyone wants counsel or wants me to pray with them or wants to make a commitment, I'll be in my office at nine o'clock on Monday morning. Um, <laughs> you know, that that was kind of kind of his approach uh-huh. to it. It it wasn't that immediate let's make a snap decision now. And a lot of people do know if, this. If, well a oh, yeah. lot of people don't know this but they
0: actually did have uh prayer rooms uh or or i think Spurgeon called them wailing rooms right. um at the tabernacle and so if people did feel a deep sense of distress or if people needed some kind of immediate counsel uh there were elders and deacons and even Spurgeon himself who was available for such things
1: right <laughs> But most and of the time
0: Spurgeon was so busy that he would just leave it to the other
1: guys. Also a thing, and there's there's a whole other conversation then and there on, you know, pastoring, but whatever. Um, mm. If I remember right, somebody had asked him, you know, well, well shouldn't, you, shouldn't you strike while the iron is hot? You know, shouldn't we go ahead and have this invitation now? And he's like, if it's the Holy Spirit that's heating the iron, it'll be hot at 9 o'clock on Monday morning when I'm in my office. Um, yeah. So you do kind of have altar calls as we know them are they're they're new um Mm -hmm. within the entire scope of church history itself um going back to the scriptural just so people who are watching have some idea what we're talking about um i use the example of mount carmel you know elijah's he got done and you had you know 750 false prophets they just proved entirely incapable of being able to call down fire before all of Israel. Um Elijah did not immediately okay every every head bowed, every eye closed, if we could have the musicians come up and it it wasn't a thing. Same thing mm. with the day of Pentecost. You didn't see Peter get up and say, all right, let's uh you know have the pianist come up and play the slowest hymn we could possibly imagine while I recap the message or go off on a tangent that <laughs> has nothing to do with the message. Um you you think of reading Paul's letters as that was their church service, you know, the church at Corinth or the church at Galatia or Ephesus. Their service was surrounded by, hey, we just got a letter from Paul, let's, let's read this, and this is, this is our word for the day. You did not see altar calls anywhere in that. Um, and so on a theological, philosophical level, I guess, no, they're not really biblical. Can they be used correctly? Yeah, in the same way I think the example that I gave was my truck. Nothing mm-hmm. in scripture tells me to drive my truck to church. But that doesn't mean it's inherently bad for me to do so. Yeah. Just that we do have to be very dog or very careful about being dogmatic of you're probably not spiritual if you don't drive a truck to church, which right. is kind of the same approach that we see um there.
0: Yeah, and so you what the, the temptation is to say, well, you know, you're not doing worship correctly if you have an altar call, or you're not doing worship correctly if you don't have an altar call. Right. And I and I don't and I don't think either one is, is correct. And I think part of the error with altar calls is that they have a very specific purpose in a very specific time. You mentioned Finney earlier. Mm-hmm. So Finney would go around doing would go around preaching these revivals and do crusades. And Finney, I don't know if you've ever actually studied the way Finney did an altar call, uh, but it was very different from the way modern altar calls are. As
1: as I understand it, a lot of his beginning was to get people to come forward to sign a petition to end slavery. Um <laughs> that was that was part of
0: it. Um so Basically the way that would basically the way Finney would do an altar call is you have to understand, first of all, before he went into ministry, he was a lawyer. So he understood things very concretely. Right. And so whenever he would preach and give an invitation, he would at the end of his sermon, he'd be like, Okay, let's get something straight. You're all sinners, you've offended God, and you're gonna burn in hell for all of eternity unless you repent and believe the gospel. And so your and so what what your responsibility is now is to come down to this altar, do business with God until you're sure you're not going to burn in hell.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, I have,
0: a, I have a slight problem with that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I right, it, 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 and I have a bit of a problem with it too. I'm not saying what the way he did it was correct either. Exactly, but, um. But part of the issue is we have altar calls today which say, oh, come down and give Jesus a chance. The more you resist, the more you're breaking Jesus's heart. You know, can't you just see that he's weeping for you? Things like that. And I I think that's also wrong. The purpose of altar calls was in in those evangelistic meetings were to get people to actually respond to the gospel. And what happened was the altar call moved from being something that was exclusively done in those evangelistic meetings throughout the week to something that was being done on Sunday morning. And I think that is an important distinction to make because when altar calls were first introduced, they weren't actually being done in church on Sunday morning. The way it would work is people would go to these evangelistic meetings, respond to the altar call, and then the evangelistic team, so Finney's evangelistic team, would actually connect them to a church and tell them, all right, on Sunday morning, you need to go to church here. Gotcha. Um, And so they would go to church, and there was no altar call. There was no invitation. There was, you know, a a service similar to like what you or I would see on Sunday morning with no altar call. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the way the service would close is with a closing hymn and a benediction. <clears throat> so, what does that say about altar calls to me? It says to me that altar calls were used for evangelism, not for... not necessarily for believers. And the way churches began appropriating altar calls on Sunday morning um, it really showed that there became a, there became an increasing philosophy that Sunday morning worship was to be done for unbelievers. Sunday morning worship was to be an invitation for unbelievers. Yes. And that's not at all what Sunday morning worship is for. Sunday morning worship is not for uh, getting as many unbelievers to put their butts in the seats as possible or getting them to join the church or getting them to do whatever. Exactly. Uh, Sunday morning worship is for believers to come together and worship God in spirit and in truth. And if a if an unbeliever happens to be stumbled in, or if an unbeliever happens to stumble in and be warmed by the fire, praise God. Exactly. But it's, that's not it's, it's not its purpose, prim- right? It's not primarily for them.
1: Yep. Yeah, that 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 tracks, and that's a whole other issue with church on how we've made it world-focused rather than church-focused, um, that's a whole other conversation we're going to have to have at some point. Um, well, all these you, issues are connected. Oh, absolutely. And and a lot of it goes back as I'm I'm trying to write out a manuscript on why church and break down um, every part of what we know kind of as the liturgy from the, the hymns to the prayers to the sermon itself to the altar call mm. and, and all of that, the offering as, as part of it. And... I'm fine. It is connected, and in a lot of churches, and in, in a lot of churches, from my tradition, um, it's gone very shallow, and it, and it's you know every service becomes that evangelistic, um, you know we need to get lost people into the church so that the preacher can preach at them. Uh, we need to outsource our personal evangelism to whoever it is that's behind the pulpit on Sunday morning or Sunday night and Wednesday night. You have to have all three. Um, Mm. And so you do end up having that problem that kind of shows up by the time you ever get to the altar call, uh, where I have seen and I've been a part of uh, altar calls, invitations, whatever you want to call them. Where it's, all right, you know, whoever's working it and helping out, go ahead and, and grab somebody and then go counsel with them and make sure they fill out this card with all of the details of, mm-hmm. of what they did. You know, you, you work with them for four and a half minutes and then fill out a card on, oh, yeah, they turn their life over to Jesus. And I'm sure some of them were legitimate. But I'm afraid that a great many of them are not because you do see it if you've ever worked a youth camp by thursday or friday the last two nights of the camp everybody's tired you're emotionally drained you're physically drained and so you get all of those little emotional decisions that pop up you know that kid gets saved for the fourth year in a row you know that that woman has started praying for her future husband you know at the age of 12 you know it's 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 those kind of things and what i'm afraid of that same mentality has gone into our churches where the altar call becomes that snap decision of, yeah. you know, you need to make that decision right now, you know, because, and, and I've said it and I've preached it, and there's an element of truth to it. You may pull out of the parking lot and get hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. And so you need to make sure you have things straightened out. And while there is an element of truth to that, I do think a lot of that approach has, I used to use Jesus's term for it, we created two-fold children of hell, right. where we had the altar call, and we got someone in an emotional situation, and you know the preacher said the right words, and then you have the slow music behind him as he kind of recapped everything and just created this emotionally charged environment where that snap emotional decision was made. And for the rest of their life, that's what they're looking back on. When someone asks, you know, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Oh yeah. On this night at such and such youth camp way back when, uh, I made a decision for Jesus. And I, I do think there is a great, great danger in how we do that. Um, now you had described, it was a little bit more different. It was definitely church focused as I understand Mm -hmm. how you describe it. Um, yeah. With how you do.
0: Yeah. So we do altar calls at our church, but we don't do altar calls for unbelievers, because altar because you know Sunday morning worship, as I said, is not for unbelievers. Right. So what what I do at my church is um, I'll preach, and then when I get done preaching, I'll say a prayer for the whole congregation, um, and then I'll give people a chance to prayerfully respond to the preached word. What I'll say is I'll say, okay. I'm about to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a closing song. As we're singing this closing song, if you would like to come up to the altar and pray, we will be more than happy to pray with you. If you would like to stay in your seat and pray, you can do that as well. But um, we, we just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word in any way you see fit. Right. Um, and,
1: and 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 on on that one, I have heard preached: if you do not actually physically come to the altar, you're missing out. You know, right. you, you have to move from your seat. <clears throat> I, I uh, is, believe... is there an element of truth to that? I'm not convinced uh, because I mean, to think... me it's it's kind of creating that cult of the tabernacle where I God is does... in this particular space. Mm-hmm.
0: I see what you're saying, um, and and I, but here's what I would say: I I do agree that if people don't actually make the move to the altar, they're missing out on something. But I agree with that in. Well, I agree with that in theory. I don't agree with it in principle.
1: Fair, and I and I think a lot of what we're going to disagree on, we disagree on in theory, not so much in practice. Um, And we're coming from you're coming from a pastoral position. I'm coming from an evangelist position. So there's there's a little bit of a difference there in you know how we handle things. Kind
0: of weird because I feel like my approach is more evangelistic than yours
1: in some ways. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. And, Um, and, you know, in a tent meeting setting or something like that, absolutely. Sure. Um, you know, and as you are, as you're describing just in your regular church setting with your church people, um, I don't have an issue with that. Um, Mm. again, theory versus versus practice. Is it inherently biblical? No, not really. Is it wrong? No, it's, it's one more tool in the bag that we can use.
0: Right. And another thing we do at our church is uh, we you know, we practice and believe in James five fourteen. Is there any is there any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, let them pray for okay. them anointing them with oil. And so it what and so what that does is that also gives an opportunity that if someone would like prayer for healing that can mm-hmm. come forward and me and the elders will lay hands on them and pray for them. Gotcha. Um, um, and, and the way we do that at our church, or at least the way that I try to conduct that at our church is very strict because um, I've seen it done in a lot i grew up pentecostal um, <laughs> and the way I saw it done in pentecostal churches um it garnered results to some degree but it but i don't think in a lot of it was appropriate
1: right.
0: um, i think it was a situation i think in the i think in the situations where it garnered positive results it was God drawing a straight line with a crooked stick if that makes yes. sense
1: yes and, um, and that that sums up kind of the conclusion that I've come to with a lot of how we do evangelism and how we do the altar calls and how it's all connected. Um, I think God is giving results despite a lot of what we do rather than mm-hmm. because of what we do. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm increasingly more cautious in how we do what we do. Um, knowing God used pilot, God used Potiphar. You know, not exactly great spiritual beings here. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so just because God is using somebody, uh, I'm going to be very cautious in, in what they're doing. Um, and there may very well be, I was thinking about this this afternoon, um, there may be times where I snap a lot harder to, you know, the regulative principle on, mm-hmm. is it specifically in Bible, simply because I've seen the other done wrong so bad. Um, and so much. I think um my wife, and she's gonna hate me for saying her name on the app. Um, but once upon a time she went to a church that um, basically prided themselves on getting as many conversions as possible. And they did this by all right, let's pray a prayer. Now sign this piece of paper, congratulations, you're going to heaven. Um right. even though as she's sorting through papers, she's real hey, a lot of these names are duplicates. You know, they've gotten saved five or six times before. Uh, it's amazing what happens when you ask someone, hey, do you want to go to heaven? Well, well mm-hmm. duh. Okay, well, if you want to go to heaven, pray this prayer. All right, now sign this paper that you prayed this prayer. People will right. do it. Especially if you're a 10, 11-year-old girl who's sitting there, you know, yeah, okay, we're going to be nice and let you fill up your paper. Um, And so there, there is a lot of that that I'm – I don't want to snap back too hard on. Mm-hmm but i i tend to err more on the side of you know that scriptural puritanism although that word will get you in trouble in some circles um mm. rather than the the allowance for um but yeah i think in in principle we disagree to some extent but in practice um i think we're actually fairly close on um, oh yeah well, I think we agree a lot more than we disagree. Exactly. Uh, and,
0: uh, you know, like I said, I grew up Pentecostal, and so I saw things that were not appropriate. Um, I, but, I, but I also saw things that were genuinely of God that I couldn't explain yes. otherwise. Yep. Um, and so what do you do with that information? Well, I think, Well, I think it goes back to, first of all, God's going to do what he wants to so let's just let's just put that out there. God's going to do what he wants to, regardless of the rules that we set in place
1: I think uh, the word the word we're going for there is sovereignty and and that's one right. of those words that you know could get you in trouble in some circles it is um you know i'm I'm not a typical Presbyterian
0: I'm a Cumberland Presbyterian, and our denomination um is is the only Presbyterian denomination that is not calvinistic right um, and you know we we fear Calvinism like the plague. Of course, you can't make the like the plague joke anymore since COVID. Well,
1: that's that's um, true.
0: <laughs> but we, you know, our denomination fears Calvinism like the plague. Um, and we fear, well, it's almost to the point where we fear logic and reason like the plague, too. But I'm not going to get into that.
1: That's that's um, also a thing. All, all so, the babies out with all the bathwater. Right. So we... Uh, we don't.
0: Whenever you talk about the sovereignty of God, like everyone kind of understands, yeah, well, of course God's in control, mm-hmm. but they don't understand that His sovereignty is not simply uh, passive sovereignty, as in, yeah, He's got over, He's got, He's got control over everything, and uh, He's just kind of allows everything. No, God is actually in control, and He's doing everything. Right. Uh, now I forgot where I was going with that, but oh, I grew up Pentecostal, and a lot of the things that I saw were inappropriate, but they garnered results, and so people just kept, oh, sorry, so people just kept doing the things that they thought garnered results. Right. Uh, I'll give you an example. We, uh, on on some, one, one, one particular Sunday morning, um, there was a, on one particular Sunday morning at a church that I attended when I was in my teens, um, there was a piano player that, attended church there. She was our main piano player, and she was in her 80s. And uh, she was a sweet lady, and uh, she didn't hardly talk that much. She was very introverted. And uh, the preacher was about to get up and preach that Sunday morning, and she kind of said, before you preach, she got on the microphone while she was at the piano and said, before you preach, I feel like God wants me to sing this one song. And he said, well, go ahead and sing it. And she never sang. And she never spoke out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the song it was, but it was, one of, it was one of those really old kind of altar call style songs. Mm-hmm. And the altars flooded up. And people began crying out to God. And the pastor just, pastor just didn't even preach that morning. Because people were just so moved at that song. And um, because that garnered the results that it did, uh, she wound up singing that song, like, two or three weeks in a row. Yep. And, yeah, and so it, after a while, the effect wore off. The, yep. I'm not going to call it a, well, maybe it was a placebo effect. <laughs> it kind of, <laughs> the, the first time it happened, it was a genuine thing that God did. Right, God interrupted the program to show that He's large and in charge, and we're not. Right, but then, but then, we we tried to stir up that same effect every time, and it didn't it didn't work.
1: Yeah, I, I saw something similar to that. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the movings this far out east, uh, but in Burlington, North Carolina, what was it eight years ago? Now they had the the Burlington revival. Yeah, I remember that. All right. So I was there, I think, for most of the weeks, at least once a week. And I can honestly say it is one of the few places that you stepped out of the vehicle and you felt the presence of God. Rarely, if ever, felt that before in life. Um, Mm -hmm. in, In all the churches and everything, every revival meeting that we copy and paste throughout the years. The takeaway from this for a lot of churches and a lot of preachers, and I have to be careful not to call names, um, was obviously God uses tent meetings. Right. Never mind everything else that happened. Um, You had churches there that had prayed weekly for, I believe it was 10 or 12 years for revival. You know, the churches had come together and they got things straight between each other and then revival breaks out Mm -hmm. the conclusion from this was god uses tent meetings and we need to pray every week so that god will do this for us yeah and you kind of took that same okay it happened once now let's copy and paste it because god's obviously going to do it like this always even though it's 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 not here Right, you know, we we don't see it there. There is no command to copy and paste a, a tent meeting or an evangelistic service or any particular song. The number of times that I heard, um, what was it? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. You know, played over and over and over every night at that 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 revival, um, or Send the Rain. You know, and then those songs began to go out to other churches because we were we were copying because it worked because it got results there so obviously it's going to work for us
0: so so let me ask you a question should i buy ct townsend's book on the burlington revival
1: yes okay i'm actually going to say yes um i've read it it's a good read um Mm -hmm. descriptive not prescriptive right understand that you know you're not going to copy and paste and have the same results otherwise uh, the what was it? Twelve hundred people saved, or twelve hundred professions, or whatever language you want to use there. Yeah, um, uh, they're from the tent over yeah. the course of the twelve or fourteen weeks. Um, are you going to buy the book and then you know expect twelve hundred next week? Yeah. No. no, no, it's it's not going to happen. Um, but I honestly do believe God moved there. Sure. One hunt, you cannot convince me otherwise. You know, there was a lot of show, there was a lot of fluff, but God moved.
0: Yeah, and you I know. think that's the description of. I think you can say that about every major revival in history. Yeah, was there a lot of show? Was there a lot of fluff? Yes, but God moved. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, you know, almost you know, in like spite uh, of, not because of, at times.
0: Well, and like if you if you do if you go back and look at Cumberland Presbyterian history, I, a lot of people don't know this because they just don't know where to look for it. But Cumberland Presbyterians were speaking in tongues in America before Pentecostals were.
1: Oh, fantastic!
0: Uh, so, if you go back to our history, we're, we came out of the uh, we came out of a sacrament meeting that turned
1: into a revival.
0: Do you know much about the old-time sacrament meetings in Presbyterian circles?
1: Not really. We, we shunned all Presbyterians because you're all godless heretics. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, um,
0: so basically, they would do sacrament meetings in the early 1800s. And what a sacrament meeting was back then is presbyteries would do the Lord's Supper once a year. And they would plan for it. By by bringing everyone in on Friday night, and they would do services on Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and Saturday evening, and then on Sunday morning is when you would actually get to partake of the Lord's Supper. And you, the idea was that you were supposed to fast from Friday evening to Saturday morning or to Sunday morning, mm-hmm. only to break it by taking the Lord's Supper. And um, they did this every year. Well, this particular year there were a lot more people showed up to this particular sacrament meeting than what they anticipated. And um, there was a uh, preacher named Barton Stone. He was the Presbyterian pastor who was overseeing this sacrament meeting. Uh, Black people, black slaves, had come with their owners to the sacrament meeting to help carry their stuff and help help them set up for camp and everything. and they started coming forward to receive the Lord's Supper and Barton Stone was giving it to them, mm-hmm. um, which was unheard of. Right. Black people did not receive the Lord's Supper. And 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 um well, some of the elders who were there at the church and some of the pastors who were visiting, they threw a fit. Mm-hmm. They said, How dare you serve serve the Lord's Supper to a Negro? And he said, "Listen, I've been ordained by word and sacrament by this presbytery. I'm authorized to give the Lord's Supper to whomever I see fit, and they are made in the image of God mm-hmm. and so when he started giving the sacrament to uh, to African Americans, revival started breaking out because racial barriers were coming down right and so revival broke out of that, and it turned it turned it was supposed to be a weekend sacrament meeting, and it turned into A months-long revival nice and uh churches were started people got saved and and the people like in these services people it looked like a pentecostal church because people were like shouting rolling on the floor and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and there was one account where i there was one account by a cumberland presbyterian preacher that i read and uh he was recalling some of, he wasn't there, but he was recalling some of the reports that he had read from other preachers. And they said that every night at services, they were stacking up slain sinners like cordwood. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, excited. I'm, I'm excited when I read that. I'm glad God did something, certainly, otherwise we wouldn't have our movement. Right. Right. Um, but I'm not going to go into my church and expect people to just fall out in the spirit and us to stack them up like cordwood. Right. <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that,
1: but I don't think I should expect that. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And there's, there is certainly that level of it happened there, it happened then. Do we really want to repeat it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we want the result. We don't, we don't want everything that comes along with it. Um, yeah. You can, point. you can, you can look at the churches around the, around the world today and kind of what they're going through to see revival. Uh, I don't necessarily want that, but uh-huh. if it moves the cause forward. Okay. You know, you look mm-hmm. at, look at uh, church in China or North Korea or Iran, the things that they're having to go through, We would call it revival. They call it normal. Yeah, that's church for them. Um, Do I want the consistent threat of someone kicking in my door? No, 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 not not really. No. Um, Do I want the constant threat of they've just figured out that you're a Christian, you're sentenced to death? No, that's where the church thrives. And so, yeah, uh, maybe a healthy dose of fear of. Okay, that worked then and there, we should do the same thing. Uh, yeah. yeah pro- probably I probably don't, think don't we're in that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're in the condition to see a massive move like that simply because um in 2020 when the pandemic was taking place, Donald Trump made the statement that that uh going to church was necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine the Roman government telling their people that that going to worship is necessary.
1: That'd be great. It'd
0: well, be Fantastic.
1: I'd, we would not see the church that we have today. Yeah. You, like you, when, you would not have accounts of they turned the world upside down.
0: Yeah. When when the state says that you're when the state says the church is doing them a service, something is wrong in my
1: opinion. Also a thing. <laughs> also a thing. Well that's because he was the Republican Party. And so that's that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's awesome that's awesome yeah but i mean back to the original subject yeah sort of you know altar calls um sometimes you see results yeah sometimes you don't Um yeah
0: and i think people have to be okay with that there was one preacher yeah. that i grew up around um i'm uh his name is Sam Austin. I know I'm not supposed to say names, but I'm going to say names. His name's Sam, Sam Austin. Um, so, Sam Austin said one time that you're not a good preacher if your altar call is not as effective as your sermon.
1: Yes. Um, no. <laughs> and
0: and um, there's a lot of Pentecostals. I know not every Pentecostal is going to abide by that standard, but there's a lot of Pentecostals who do. There's enough, anyway, that Sam Austin is a household name in Pentecostal churches around Arkansas, right? Um, And every time Sam Austin does a revival somewhere, the house packs out. Okay. So
1: Yeah, we've got a um, few of those. I think you dropped a couple of their names um, in our private chat that mm -hmm. made me not like you as much, but, you know, (laughs) it'll be okay. We'll get over it that's fantastic
0: and so my grandpa for example like the reason i guess the i guess the main reason i do altar calls the way i do is because mm-hmm. I, that's how my grandpa did altar calls
1: that's fair uh, so um, at least at least you acknowledge that you are teaching for doctrine the commandments of men and are attempting not to violate the traditions of your elders yeah you know, i think is what that would boil down to. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: well I mean at least i'm not leaving people in their sin and not giving them a chance to repent
1: it, you know that's that's a thing you know but there'll be <laughs> if if the Holy Spirit is heating the iron it'll it'll be hot at nine o'clock in the morning when i 'm in the office um, yeah there there's certainly certainly a divide there some of some of how you see it done it's just it's just popped into my head um, it's become so normative and almost a sacrament in and of itself to have an altar call that mm-hmm. even when it doesn't make sense, um, I was somewhere and they were doing a deep dive study. And so they, they go through, I think it was one of the chapters in Luke when I was there. And so you get this very deep theological exposition of Luke and you get to the end and immediately pivot to, if you're here and you're not saved, you know, the altar is open and someone, like, I can appreciate the initiative.
0: There right. was no
1: transition there. You know, it, uh-huh. it had nothing to do. It it was a hard stop and a shift in a different direction with musical accompaniment now. it
0: Yeah, it was a, It it's not a natural altar call. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and it, and it's it's one where you know I've seen it done naturally, um, mm-hmm. and the more I preach, especially recently, um, I read read a couple of books on Spurgeon. Tether to the Cross was one of them, where every message he preached tied back to the gospel. When yeah. I started when I started preaching, I, I preached the very stereotypical how I learned to preach of. You come up with an idea. You find a verse that fits that idea. You alliterate mm-hmm. a three-point outline out of that idea, and then and then that's your message. The more I preach, and especially recently, um, you get all of Scripture ties back to the cross. All of Scripture ties back to the gospel. And so yeah. there's that very natural transition, too, where before... I did not give an invitation. And as an evangelist, I have a little bit more leeway on that, I guess, Uh, whereas people expect it from a pastor. But I would turn that portion over. You know, I'm done preaching. This is the point. I would turn it over to the elder, the deacon, or the pastor, you know, whoever was the officiator of, of that. But as I'm preaching and I'm finding that connection more to the gospel and to the cross, it's a lot more comfortable. Oh, you froze. Uh, battery went low. I'm back. I think. Um, oh, there we but, go. It, but it's a lot more comfortable for me to transition into that um, kind of invitation mindset. Of you know, the gospel has been presented. There was a challenge to Christians here. Uh, if you need to respond, don't wait. You know, mm. we can we can go through this now. And so on a practical level, I am more, more likely to do one now than I was six months or a year ago. Yeah. On, on, on the, the philosophical, theological level, uh, it's still not inherently biblical or correct. It's also not inherently unbiblical or wrong. But where it is natural, it can be very beneficial. Right. Um. Because it does kind of provoke a response. Um, you know, even if we have the mentality of the Holy Spirit's going to move when the Holy Spirit's going to move and you're not going to stop it, um, sure. there is still that natural inclination of the flesh to, I'm going to sit here until he stops bugging me. Mm-hmm. And so by having that, if God's dealing with you, come on, um, I think can be, can be beneficial, which I guess would push me more into the normative side than the regulative side, I suppose. Yeah, because, I mean, you're obviously a heretic because you're agreeing with me. 100%, you
0: know, just here, <laughs> here I am.
1: Baptists and Presby's, here we go, it's what's next? Uh,
0: now you're going to start baptizing your children, right?
1: Oh, that's exactly what's going to, we just had a newborn. I think we're going to schedule this probably next week.
0: Uh, that's and, and
1: then, and then I think, um, the week after that, just to go ahead and push it full circle, I think we're going to go get them catechized and just go ahead and launch <laughs> them on into Rome. Just so that just, we get the whole wrap up that now that's great, but, uh, it does, it does go. And this is, um, I've got to, I've got to head out real quick, um, in a minute, but I was in a, I was in a church in, um, Mount Airy, North Carolina few years hmm. ago uh we had gone down for a singing um met uh the easter brothers if you know anything about bluegrass music met them down there and Hi, we, we we stayed over saturday night and i asked james easter i'm like you know where do you guys go to church i'll like, you know if we're if we're here like i know you believe what you say you believe um i've seen you through the years so i'm going to trust your recommendation a little bit more than i'm going to trust google um, mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we we go to this this church over here. So we went there Sunday morning, and it was it was weird. It really was weird. Growing up, independent Fundamental Baptist, um, I had a pastor at one point make the claim from the pulpit, "I am an independent Fundamental Baptist. That's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm always going to be. I'm not going to share the platform with anyone who is not. Nor am I going to pray for them because they're outside of the will of God. Therefore, God's not going to bless them anyway." It it's yes, there is a danger in ecumenism, but there is 100 percent a danger in I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of insert denomination. Right. But I'm sitting in a in a Pentecostal church in North Carolina, and the, the pastor gets up and he opens his King James Bible, so we knew it was going to be correct from the moment he opened his mouth. Um <laughs> And he begins to preach, and it dawns on me in this message that my people do not have a monopoly on the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it's one of those things that you know, but, but never really dawns on you. And there is, certainly, there is certainly a level of disagreement that we're going to have. I don't always agree with me. I don't always agree with my wife. It's just, it's how human nature is. But there is a level of disagreement where I'm going to have to break fellowship with you. Mm -hmm. But there is a level of disagreement that you're serving the kingdom. I'm serving the kingdom. We're in two different roles in two different places, doing two different things, working for the same King Sure. where even on some level of disagreement, we're on the same team. And so we can work together. And that's what, i'm loving with these conversations is you know even though you're probably not saved as a presbyterian uh we right. can still work together and just and <laughs> go on from that but uh it's awesome so it's
0: awesome. i i was uh i had lunch with a church of christ pastor one time and uh he was really active in the community he was a part of the ministerial alliance and he was working with other pastors, and uh, he even went as far as having a Baptist come and fill his pulpit one Sunday. Oh, there you go. And uh, I had lunch with him one day, and I said, I have never seen a Church of Christ pastor like you. Mm-hmm. You, I said, all the other Church of Christ ministers I've known, they have, been, they have been so staunch about their beliefs that they believe that unless you are baptized in the Church of Christ, you're going to die and burn in hell. Yeah. And I said, "Why are you the way you are?" Basically, yeah. and he said, "You know, I was like that at one time." And I, he said, "I was even raised that way." Mm-hmm. He said, "He said, but it dawned on me one day that my family is a whole lot bigger than what I thought it was." Yes, you may and have he said some soon... really
1: wonky cousins out there, right? But it's, but it's, it's, it's there. Their family. Mm-hmm. He said, "As soon as I realized my family was a lot bigger than."
0: Than what I thought it was. He said it changed the way I approach ministry.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's, that's big. There are, there are fundamentals that we can agree. I hate using that word. There are fundamentals <laughs> that we can agree on that we're going to get together and we're going to work together on. Um, mm-hmm. This Sunday, I'm preaching in a brethren assembly. Um, and then I think next week, I'm going to, or next week, um, next month, I'm at a Southern Baptist church. Um, which there there are some people in my circles that, you know, how dare you? You've left the faith because you're, you know, they're not. Uh, my dad got chewed out at a Bible college because he would go preach at, you know, churches that were outside of his circle. Yeah. Like, you, you only preach to the people that agree with you, uh, is, mm-hmm. is a lot of the mentality, which is very problematic, but, you know, um, but yeah, even though we do have some level of disagreement. Um we're still on the same team. We're For still sure. preaching the same gospel. Um you're in your spot, I'm in my spot, you know. Yeah. Uh well was it Paul said, some are eyes, some are ears, some are feet, mm-hmm. some are hands. And I'm pretty sure I've met a few rear ends in my ministry. Uh, but yeah. Where yeah, you know, it's it's I've probably been one a few times. But me too. You know we all have a job to do, and I love these conversations. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, now I, know you've been, uh, now I know you've got to go soon. Uh,
0: so if anyone's watching and they haven't been saved, just go ahead and
1: hit that like button so that I know you're watching. <laughs> Type the prayer hands emoji into the chat so that I know to pray for you. <laughs> oh, mercy! <laughs> There's so many ways that could go horribly wrong. Um, if anybody is feeling the Spirit of God leading them toward anything, I will be in my office at 9 o'clock on Monday morning. <laughs> That's fantastic. But this has been fun. We're going to have to do it again. I feel like there's enough yeah. topics that we could, we could go on.
0: Well, whenever Just... I get my podcast fired back up, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm, well, I definitely want to have you on as a guest.
1: That's a terrible idea. Horrible High idea. idea. <laughs> I've, I've been I've been throwing it around with uh, a few guys on this side of starting one um, called the Modern Primitives because you know I'm, I'm coming from the from the very conservative end of the theological spectrum I guess um, mm-hmm. you take a couple of more steps from where I'm at and you end up with the Amish so yeah it just yeah, it right. just is where it is um, I always but, tell people that I'm conservative
0: to the right of Genghis Khan
1: that's fair. That's fair. I have almost <laughs> as many children as Genghis Khan, so there's that. Um, the, the, uh, one of the preachers that came and
0: preached at our revival is actually an Assembly of God preacher, and he's got six kids as well. And he upgraded his minivan to a uh, shuttle bus.
1: Yes. Yeah, we went, from, we went from a sedan to a minivan, found out we were having another one. Um, this was pregnancy number four. And so we're like, okay, we have room. We can put one more seat, you know, all of them are young enough. They're still all in car seats. Um, so I'm like, we've got room for one more seat. And so we're good. We go to the doctor and we found out it's twins. So I'm like, okay, we no longer have room for one more seat. We have to put two seats in this thing. Uh, (laughs) we, We upgraded to a suburban. And then found out she was pregnant again so that's great we're not too far off from the big 15 passenger transit vans but yeah that's what i grew up in that's what i learned to drive in so is what it is but awesome i'm going i'm gonna run i appreciate it man it's yeah man awesome. good time we'll do it again all right later
0: later man